This is KCSB-FM in Santa Barbara, 91.9, and this is Talking Brands Radio. Good morning, everybody. Once again, we are Talking Brands Radio. This is Casey Garrett, and co-hosting with me is Stephen Johnson. Hey, everyone. This is Stephen. Hey, and so this is our inaugural episode of Talking Brands Radio. So we're going to be your number one source for environmental talk, news, and interviews. If you're willing to get up at 5.30 to listen to us, yes. <laughs> exactly right. So yeah, we once again wish all of you good morning who are awake at this crazy hour. But what we're hoping to do the rest of this quarter is talk about all sorts of environmental issues, both local and international, and hopefully bring them out in a way that's understandable to everybody, because we've certainly seen enough environmental reports on the news, TV, internet, and there's a whole lot of jargon and nonsense words out there, and we're hoping we can cut through some of that. Exactly. We'll try to use what we know from um, what we've learned at Bryn and regurgitate it back to you in a way that is appealing and enjoyable. Yeah, and so let's uh, start with that. So tell everybody out there who's not aware of Bryn, and we mean the uh, Donald Bryn School of Environmental Science and Management. Tell them what that's about. Yeah, Donald Bryn... um What's the the Bryn School of Environmental Science and Management? And basically, me and Casey are both master students learning about the environment there. It's a two-year program. Um, we're uh, graduate students, but we'll only be here two years. In the end, we do a group project that's kind of replaces what would be the master's thesis. But in the mid, in the meantime, they pretty much are teaching us a little bit of everything from economics to ecology to business. And uh, almost anything you, you thought about that might have something to do with environment, we're learning about. Yeah, so we're just hoping we can share some of that info with the uh, rest of you. So before we get into what we're going to talk about today, we figure we'd go ahead and introduce ourselves to the radio world. So, Stephen, want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm originally from North Carolina and have been out on the West Coast for about 13 years now. Originally got, had gone to L.A. to make movies and I tried to get work as a production assistant at first. I ended up getting a job at a late-night talk show instead. And uh, which uh, show was that? That was The Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn. Oh, right on. Uh, how'd you like it? I liked it a lot. Right now, that show is um, Craig Ferguson, so they kept Craig's, changed the last names. But <laughs> it's um, David Letterman's show that comes on after David Letterman on CBS. I loved it. And it was, I really enjoyed that time of um, living in L.A. and working on that show. It was... Uh, one of the best things about that, as opposed to working on a movie set, is the hours are a little bit better. We weren't actually taping at uh, 12.30 at night, which is when we came on, though we are recording this at 5.30 in the morning. So the, yep. the hours <laughs> might be better in late night television than in radio. I'm yeah. not sure yet. Jumping one to the other. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, a little about me. This is, once again, Casey. I uh, 
Came from uh, UCSB as an undergrad, actually. So go Gauchos once again. Double Gaucho. Exactly. And uh, after that, I got involved with a couple different groups. So I worked in zoos and aquariums for a while, volunteered and worked at the Santa Barbara Zoo down for a while, which is a great experience. Worked a little bit on the animal care team and then a little bit with their outdoor education program. I did an internship out in Florida with Epcot as part of a their marine mammal team. And so there I had the privilege of working with uh, the injured manatees and then help with dolphin research as well as educating the public, which was a super rewarding experience and definitely made me want to share what I learned with the world. That does sound great. So we are going to take a quick musical interlude right here with uh, Spirit Voices by Paul Simon. And then after we come back, we're going to go ahead and talk a little bit about the state of affairs with carbon dioxide emissions. So we'll be back with Talking Men's Radio right after this. Jungle breathe in the bamboo. 
And we're back with Talking Brands Radio, and we're going to go ahead and kick things off with our first real discussion and talk a little bit about the state of affairs with how people view carbon dioxide in the world. And for those uh, who just may not know or why even care about carbon dioxide, that is uh, what we call a greenhouse gas. So what it does, it can trap heat in the atmosphere, and that is a big factor on why we're experiencing this uh, global warming and climate change. Yes. It's uh, it's kind of difficult. It's been um, it's kind of hard to explain, but the, one of the best analogies is probably just having like an extra blanket on top of the Earth. So heat just has a little bit trouble, more trouble dissipating than it would if the carbon dioxide was not there. So that just kind of the infrared comes back down again, and as heat, and basically just stays a little bit longer. And it's not a, a huge, massive amount, but it could go anywhere from maybe up to two degrees Celsius in the long run, or maybe even four. We're not really sure. But that small two degrees Celsius would actually have huge repercussions on certain things like like crops and plants and just ecosystems in general. Certainly. And when you're talking about two degrees, you're saying a two degree increase in temp and the mean global temperature, right? Exactly. Yes. And that's one thing that people like to, whenever they're trying to spin it their own way, they're like, oh, there's no way some places are going to get colder, blah, blah, blah. It's true that you don't know what's going to happen where but the mean would go up. And I think that's partly why uh, people are so concerned is because we don't know what would happen in the future with that. Well, and so one thing to address when we're talking about the state of uncertainty with uh, global emissions and carbon dioxide is that the scientific community has reached a consensus that carbon dioxide levels are in fact increasing. It is in fact caused primarily by anthropogenic and what that means is caused by human sources. It's not and it's just not a natural phenomenon. This is caused by people. And consequently, that is causing a rise in global temperature. This isn't something when you hear there's debate in the scientific media, it's not on things like this. That's very commonly accepted science with the just rate, the incredibly small subset, but the majority of the scientific community kind of is accepting that as a just scientific reality and then moving on to how do you address that and how do you predict for the future? Well, like one thing about the carbon is that you know, there's a certain amount of carbon on, on the earth anyway, and most of that has been locked up in fossil fuels for, for millions of years. And what we've been doing in the past, you know, since the Industrial Revolution for the past you know, 100 years or so and even intensified now is we're taking out the fossil fuels, burning them, combusting them, which basically just takes the the hydrogens off the carbons and puts on two oxygens, which floats into the air, which is carbon dioxide. And that's what's basically the cause of all these problems right now. So we're talking a lot about, okay, so here's some science, scientists agree, but what we do understand is kind of the reality of things is that in the kind of mainstream news media, and I think even just you can hear if you talk to, you know, friends, family, and other people that this seems to be, uh, have a higher level of debate and a higher level of uncertainty than the scientific community likes to think they have. So what do you think is this big discrepancy between? You know, so weird because for me, whenever I was growing up, science was science. And what's really weird now is like whenever you someone mentions the environment, they're like, oh, well, you must be liberal or you must be a Democrat or whatever it is they're assuming. And I just... It's really bizarre that that's the, kind of the way it is. I'm sure 20 years ago it wasn't about that. Environmentalists were 
uh, or just anyone that was concerned about the environment was kind of like that it wasn't a, a political issue. It was apartisan, and, um, which just means not uh, – doesn't have to do with what um, party you are, whether it's Democrat or Republican or whatever like that. So it's been a polarizing issue of recent years pretty much. And so what, what do you think is causing that? So why do, you, why do we have this sudden surge, especially in very recent years, of having people take these environmental issues and then make them very political? And we can certainly see that that is very commonplace, especially amongst the Republican Party. There's been strong opposition to climate change legislation. In particular, cap-and-trade was a big one that uh, – it was primarily Republicans and especially a strong force in the Tea Party. However, there were a there were a few Democrats who did oppose cap and trade legislation, but for the majority, people did vote across party lines with uh, this environmental legislation. You know, the reason I think it is is that in general, the Conservative Party has been the party that is interested in pretty much uh, maintaining the economy the way it is, or having the money where it's going now to, to stay the same. So, if there was ever the idea of having to change our reliance on fossil fuels to the degree or for people to be um, pretty much responsible for their own carbon dioxide emissions, it would put a huge squeeze on a lot of the economy. And it would, it would cost a lot more money for factories and industry in general to, to deal with that. And since Republicans are generally the ones that are, are uh, looking after that, that side of America, they're going to kind of use it to their advantage to not really admit that carbon dioxide is happening, at least at this point. Yeah, and it's certainly – I have done a little bit of research on the subject myself, and I saw kind of an interesting trend. It's with a lot of these things in politics. The mantra is follow the money. And something that I saw is when you look at campaign just finances for people supporting and uh, going against co- climate legislation, there was substantially more money by orders of magnitude given by – organizations to try to oppose the most recent cap-and-trade legislation in the Senate compared to the kind of environmental and NGOs that were trying to support having cap-and-trade legislation in place. And as you may guess, or if you don't, the large majority of the contributions to stop cap-and-trade from happening came from energy or an oil-producing organization, so ones that clearly have a financial stake in maintaining the status quo and having a, a just continuing of uh, carbon-emitting fuels. Yeah, it makes sense because they're looking after their own interests, basically. And it, it'll it be interesting to see where we go with this. One thing that I, I'd, I'd taken a class um, before I'd come back to Bryn about the, the psychology of the environmental, of environmental science and environment in general. And it, there's some things that kind of make it very difficult for the movement. Well, one thing is that the carbon dioxide we were talking about before is a clear, um, smellless, um, you can't even see uh, like a gas that's up there. So no one – you can't really see it at all. Certainly. That reminds yeah. us of uh, something we heard in one of our classes where, you know, if carbon dioxide was pink, this issue would be done in a day. Yeah, that's uh, – Dr. Sarah Anderson had told us that. And she's probably exactly right. But if you look at what happened with smog like in, let's say, you know, neighboring Los Angeles, whenever you're getting up and going to work in the morning and there's like just a brown haze in the air and you're – you know, you're – you have a three-month-old baby in your hands, you're – you might be concerned about what's going on in the air, and if there's like the, the um, alerts and having making sure people stay inside, it was like a very visual thing, and it was kind of taken care of. There was, they looked after fuel emissions for cars and like for catalytic converters and things like that. So they kind of got on top of it, but it was very visual, and what, you don't have that with carbon dioxide. So it, it allows people that you know it's, it's not their interest to 
for people to know about it to kind of pretend that it's not really happening. That's right. And we certainly have another example of just seeing when um, issues are very clear and present that the general public can take action when we talk about things like acid rain primarily being caused by sulfur. And that was a byproduct of a lot of industrial processes a few decades ago. And then we have seen very quickly once legislation was in place, once they scientists had reached that conclusion that, yeah, this sulfur emission is causing acid rain, which has very tangible benefits of causing erosion to cars. There's a great picture out there online if you just type in acid rain statue of just the statue that's just fiercely eroded. Just com- It just looks terrible. It was just like a 10-year period, I think. They had it like what, maybe um, 20 years ago and then t- today. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Exactly. So it's like this horrible thing out there that's melting statues and all this. So people could very clearly rally behind that. But with carbon dioxide, you just don't have that. I think didn't, weren't there um, sulfur emission cap-and-trades that happened that were very successful? Yeah, so there is precedent for successful use of cap-and-trade, and I think it's probably more successful just because there was it was an easier fix. So it was sort of low-hanging fruit to use other processes or to filter out sulfur emissions. So whereas to limit CO2 or carbon dioxide emissions to a degree that would significantly benefit the environment is likely going to require, frankly, a lot of different solutions, but a lot of those it's going to most likely change the way things currently are, whether that is our reliance on fossil fuels or individual habits of energy use. It's going to require efforts on a lot of fronts, and that's a lot for one individual to you know take hold. So a lot of people just feel overwhelmed and think, well, there's so much to do, and I'm just one person. Like I might as well not do anything. Yeah, that I could easily see how that would um, pervade the whole anyone that that uh, knows what's going on. What, one thing that I it's kind of unfortunate, but you know, in, in the U.S. and in, I guess it's just a a characteristic of humanity. Anyway, we tend to react when something big happens, and we know it happens, and we we respond and. In mass, and we completely can change what we do, but we almost need that big galvanizing event. So I'm kind of partly wondering whether it'll take just plenty more massive hurricanes or just some kind of another, you know, an agricultural disaster or what it would do to actually get people really behind um, the, all the regulations that might have to come into play to, in order to stop the increase in CO2 in the atmosphere. And I think that's interesting, but I guess if you just kind of look at what's happened in the past, we've seen, you know, there's been countless hurricanes, massively disastrous events, Hurricane Sandy, events like this, where they get a lot of humanitarian aid and a lot of energy behind it. But when we look at it, how how much has really been done in the name of climate change? Well, see, that's the thing, like the the one about hurricanes, that those easily could have happened anyway. It's more of a trend. It's not like one is, is uh, you know, we're having an extra hurricane every year just because of global warming. It's just a general trend. So what everyone has to look at is more like the temperatures going up, maybe drought years, what's happening to snow, if there's like increased snowfall. I know it's really sad over in the lower Sierras um, that one of the one of the main ways of bringing in money is through white water rafting. And only last winter was the first time they couldn't, after last winter, last summer, there, was, there wasn't enough uh, snowpack melt to allow for water to run down the river and there was no money being generated for white water rafting. So that one event wouldn't necessarily be it, but um, you got to keep an eye on for things like that and the trends. Can I give you the direction of where things are going? 
Yeah, it, and that's very interesting. Another uh, strange phenomenon that we saw earlier this year is with the the rise of the polar vortexes and that just extremely cold winters is that a lot of media thought, oh, well, how is global warming real when we have these like the, some of the coldest events in recent history? So, yeah. how do, how would you respond to these you know hypothetical well, critics? It's, it's all it's all the trends. It's like they could um. It's easy to say, oh, well, how could global warming be going on if you know there's this intense cold and especially the kind of the fluctuations there. It's uh, it's the kind of thing that you have to look at the trends overall, not individual and, events. And when you say look at the trends, uh, what does that mean specifically? So well, if some layperson's like, I want to kind of see what what things would you want to look for and what would be of note or what would be alarming to see what is deviating and what is acceptable. Well, you'd probably look at the highs for the summer. You know, you want to see how many, like if there are lots of drought years. You want to see if like we're um, in the 90s compared to the 80s and 70s and 60s or whatever, who was where the the highest it ever got into in the summer, those kind of things. And from there, you can kind of get a little feel for the way things are going. I, one of our professor, Professor Tillman, had told us about the fact that like in Minnesota, if um, in the future some of the the warmest year they the warmest summers they've ever had would be almost what would eventually be the lowest temperatures every year which would be hard to imagine um every summer but anyway it's a good mystery i still have yet to find a good a good way to just get through to everyone about what's going on one thing i thought was interesting is we we do know a lot about physics and we know a lot about what molecules do mm-hmm. and how they respond so the good question is if the extra carbon dioxide emission in the air is not causing some degree of global warming, why why is it not? Because it, as far as physics go and chemistry, it's it's uh, they, it should be. So, what's causing it to be suppressed would be the another way to look at the whole issue. Well, I, I guess I have an answer to that question. I think it's a very interesting thing in general because I guess what it comes down to is this the almost meta analysis of environmental communication because just because there is clearly this scientific background to explain a phenomenon, depending on your target audience, that may not be the actual thing that matters. I uh, just read an interesting story today. It'll be a huge tangent away from environmental issues, but bear with me. It involves a female circumcision down in Africa. And what was happening was this uh, non-governmental organization was wanting to stop that, which is, you know, the sensible thing to do. But instead of just coming in there and showing uh, this one, uh, individual who was responsible for performing the circumcisions, like all this scientific facts saying, you know, this is going to cause more infections, more deaths. It's not a safe thing to do. What this NGO realized is that that approach is not going to reach this particular audience. So just using those facts may not help. Mm -hmm. But what was successful, in fact, was consulting these uh, spiritual elders that held had were held in high esteem of this group. And they reached out to them, they shared their information, and were able to convince them that, okay, this is a practice that we should no longer support. And those spiritual elders reached out to this person performing those circumcisions and said, this is something that is against their religious beliefs, and it shouldn't be done. And that was what was turned out to be very successful. And in fact, not only did the individual stop circumcisions, but then became an advocate for others saying, and just kind of espousing throughout their community that, a female circumcision should be stopped. Oh, interesting. Well, that kind of I could bring it back to global warming a little bit with that. Mm-hmm. I know recently the um, the IPCC, which is the Interpanel of uh, 
climate change. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has just recently released a new study. And I saw that the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg Business got articles about it and started mentioning the possibilities of global warming in general. So if people that normally get their news sources from one more conservative side, if if they start talking about global warming more, I think it will hit more of the United States people, I think. Quite possibly, but I think it's even the larger message. It's one, it's you have to find a messenger that is reliable and respected in a given peer group, and that's certainly what you'd get when you're talking about the Wall Street Journal, uh, Bloomberg, or even Fox News, just different uh, news organizations that are going to hit a different subset of the population and who rely on a different source for news. I agree with but you completely, yeah. But then it's also how you frame that message, because maybe it's not the hard science of, well, car or CO2 emissions will cause an increase in global temperature, and that is bad. It's a some that may not resonate with some people. Whereas if you say things like there's been projections that increased water loss caused by climate change is going to cause greater global instability, so you could even frame it in the sense of a uh, global affairs issue or even a security issue. That's certainly more likely to resonate. And there's dozens of those kind of frames out there. So I think it's something we kind of need to implore just the scientific communicators out there, wherever you may be at this time in the morning, that there's more than one way of sharing information. And it's really the important thing is to understand who are you trying to talk to? Because it does no good. There's been decades of just pure data saying these phenomenon that are happening. But now we need to be more creative and find ways to share things in a way that's more relatable to the public. And frankly, I hope we can accomplish some of that here on the show. Yeah, that, well, that's a very good point. And that's what our goal is here to, to get through. Just um, if someone knows a little bit more after listening to us for a half hour, then that makes me very happy. I would get up that early every day for that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and we hope you all do as well. And, you know, that's going to kind of bring us to the end of our very first show. We're going to be here Tuesdays at 530 every week. So we hope you all listen to us. And in fact, if you have any questions, comments, or new future topics for the show, feel free to reach out at us at TalkingBrenz. That's talking and then Brenz is B-R-E-N-S at gmail.com. So go ahead and send out an email if you have some questions or comments. And then we'll go ahead and see you next week. That's, what, that's one word, uh, talking brands. Yeah, talking brands. It's all lowercase, one solid word at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. We'll see you all next week. And to play us out, we're going to have Noah's Dove, and that's by 10,000 Maniacs. So, once again, this is Talking Brands Radio, and we'll see you all next time.
Time.